Hello, welcome back to the story chat. You can find extra content on Instagram at the store. Um, hello, welcome back to the story chat. Beep. Okay, that's justified. Somebody just just shoved an entire brush that is squirting water against my window, and I was quite shocked. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> I kind of like that intro. I think we should keep it. <laughs> keep that and uh dear viewers you should know i have had to restart this intro about five times because uh i am how does one um how does one call to action how does one start a podcast uh and sometimes it's um by having a brush shoved against the window uh i'm coming to you live from our well okay it won't be live by the time it comes out but i'm coming to you from our uh, university library uh, and today they are washing windows, and I did not expect them to get over here so very quickly. Right, back to the story chat. Uh, this is Gareth. Today I'm, uh, uh, well, we're all your hosts, but um, today I am leading the topic on Daniel O'Malley's The Rook. A little bit different, focusing on one book, and we will sort of go off from there, because I am the only one who has read it fully through. Uh, so, joining me are also... I'm Kay. I laugh a lot. There we go. That's who I am. <laughs> and I am Percival, who is a bit disorganized, so I've listened to a little bit of this book that we are talking about today, this morning, but um, not much of it. So this should be a very interesting discussion we have here for you. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, so I will lead the discussion with a little talk about what the book is. And it's not too much more than what's on the actual back of the book, so I don't think we're approaching spoiler territory yet. Um, the Rook is uh, Daniel O'Malley's first novel. It came out in 2012. Oh, for goodness sake, you really are going to like start jetting water out of your brush right when I start talking. <sighs> I mean, it's fascinating, but this is not good for podcasting. Thanks. Um, I can't hear anything in the background. Yeah, they just took it off the window. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try that again. Um, yeah, Daniel O'Malley is the Rook, his first novel, which came out in the, I honestly can't believe it's already 2012, which is like almost 10 years ago now. Um, I'm not sure when I picked it up. I got it from one of those middle tables in the Waterstones and it just looked interesting. And the tagline on the front was MI6 for wizards, which, of course, sounded exactly like my flavor. So we went for it. Um, a woman about 30 wakes up with no memory and surrounded by bodies in a park in the rain. And she just has to go from this situation to kind of faking the life of the person she used to be because the person she used to be got attacked, got her memory partially wiped, and is effectively now a new person in the same body. And at first, this new person decides, I'm having nothing to do with this, I'm leaving, uh, I'll take option B, which the person she had used to be has set up for her, which is, you know, oh, change your name, get a lot of plastic surgery, run away to 
and now I country. Or you can find out who I am and finish the job that I was doing, which I've obviously failed at because I'm dead, uh, the job of finding out who wanted to kill me. And a bunch of things happens and this new new woman decides that in the end the best thing to do is to fake being the old woman and try to get to the bottom of it. And it turns out that this woman is faking, well, the person she's faking being was very high up in a government organisation, basically basically the Ministry of Magic, not to borrow terms from people we don't like to talk about anymore. Um, and they they run the day-to-day sort of suppression of supernatural events in the UK. And it turns out that she's actually mostly working in finances. Um, it's just a great book. Uh, there's a really neat framing device throughout it because the woman she used to be has left her this humongous purple binder full of like, you know, all the things you need to know about faking being me. Don't let anyone ever see this binder or the jig is up, which is, yeah, it was a big security risk, honestly. But I guess when you know you're going to die, it's like a new person can deal with this. Uh, The binder also allows the author to get more into the day to day business of this. uh, It allows the author to get into the everyday business of this very interesting secret governmental agency because uh, the previous woman has filled it with sort of like, oh my God, you'll never believe what happened today, ordinary meetings, and then somebody hatched a dragon and blah, blah, blah. And so along with the central story, which is sort of character, the new character trying to solve a supernatural murder and mystery while also pretending everything is fine. I was never attacked that weekend. I don't know what you're talking about. It allows you to see some of the other crazy stuff that's been going on without sort of like, putting too much into the main narrative and I actually really like that as a sort of framing device or maybe a dividing device because it is kind of you know every few chapters you'll get a long bit in italics and sort of a message to dear you um there's a, a fun one about a psychic duck yeah there's also the way that this book I haven't seen it described as an urban fantasy But I do feel like it fits that mould. But it also kind of leans towards almost the territory of uh, superhero stories. It's a tiny bit sort of X-Men of London because almost everyone working at this agency, agency governmental arm, is either insanely skilled or supernaturally talented. And the author never really tries to explain exactly how or why despite the fact that actually in universe there is a lot of research into how and why are these things happening to certain citizens. But it leaves it a lot open for sort of, for play. It's a really playful book and I like that a lot. What is an urban fantasy? That is a great question and I should define it. Um, Urban fantasy is, and honestly, I'm kind of curious as to why urban fantasy gets singled out as a different genre. It's, as far as I see, it is basically fantasy, but in our modern times. And that kind of raises the interesting question of sort of like, oh, so if you had Victorian fantasy, would that still be fantasy because it's not 
modern or is that just urban enough like is that just within the realm of cities enough to be modern not modern urban i was going to say that i think if it was like set in the victorian period like a historical victorian period then that would be urban fantasy because at least i would say that the main draw of urban fantasy is that rather than a wholly constructed world you can see where fantastical elements might interact with ours even if it's like a a hidden world there's still that intermingling compared to like a world that is completely distant from our own and is just world built from the ground up so I think if it was a fantasy world based on like the Victorian era that would be fantasy but if it was actually set in our world in our timeline I think that at least to me would be considered urban fantasy I think that's a fair take Sorry, I'm a bit lost. So are you saying that like Victorian urban fantasy is urban fantasy or is not urban fantasy? I'm very sorry. That is the question I'm raising because I wasn't sure what the cutoff point for urban fantasy is historically. But I think that I think Percival has hit the nail on the head suggesting that it is how it intermingles with our world rather than being a fantasy world built from the ground up fresh is often defined by that hidden world or like a recent divergent point almost so often in urban fantasies like it's either secret or there's like you know 10 years ago magical stuff started happening and we don't know why so there's still like that basis of history as we know it so that it's still contextualized in our like real world so if the fantasy elements were kind of always ingrained and the yeah. fact that it's set sounds more like it's just using the kind of Victorian aesthetic than is actually an urban fantasy for the Victorian period. But I've never seen it. But I think... So is urban fantasy where something's more hidden or being recently discovered? Generally, I would say, because... I think it's it's more about that interaction with our known world. So you kind of have to have that baseline of history and you need that, like pop culture wouldn't be the same if we just had magical elements all throughout history. So then it's... Uh, sorry, as you can probably guess, I don't know that much about urban fantasies. I also originally thought this was fairy tale. <laughs> That is is completely reasonable. Yeah, I feel like that links back to the fact that the Rook doesn't really define exactly where all these fantastical abilities come from. So I think you could link it to fairy tales if you if you wanted to. And like there are certain behaviours in it. But yeah, as you can tell, I also don't know enough about urban fantasy to sort of define it, although I read it. Um but yeah, this is this is something I like about the rook. It's kind of it's just there. Okay, wow. Um <laughs> like it's 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 an office romance without romance. It's supernatural, but also deeply like, oh god, the paperwork of dealing with all of this. Um and there's just a lot going on. It's it's well, I found it hard to get bored while reading it because, you know, there was so much happening. It sounds very sort of like grounded in aspects of daily life while also having this very 
kind of fantasy aspect woven within it so it feels realistic while also having while also having elements which aren't realistic but because it's grounded in reality you believe it more yes it's also very funny like there's there's things like oh this character is extremely insanely flexible um which is good for plot relevant reasons but it also means it's an absolute pain to have to car share with him because he can't sit still without twisting himself into smaller and smaller contortions and it you know drives his co-workers crazy so it's yeah it's it's also extremely funny surely that'd be great because you would have more space in the car actually that's a great point i think i think the character who is getting annoyed should learn to see the bright side (laughs) (laughs) i think one of my um so favorite bits from the first bit first like section of the novel that i got through was when you know the character like the past version of the character was describing how she had these like incredible powers and was like yeah but that's not how i got to the top of the secret organization i'm just really good at paperwork like really good at paperwork and then the character who's reading this was just like nerd and I thought that was just really amusing that all these secret pa- like superpowers and it's just her paperwork ability that gets her to this really prestigious position. Yes. That is nice. Because that also feels a bit like the real world sometimes where you're like, oh, what I actually do doesn't matter. It's just if I can fit, tick these boxes. And if I can tick these, like, with, even with academic, you have to tick the boxes in order to pass. They don't always, even with creative writing, they don't always really care about the, well, they do care about the creativeness. But if you don't tick the spelling, grammar, do you meet these points, you're not going to pass. <laughs> no matter how creative or good the story is, you're just not going to pass. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a really, really fair comparison to draw. Um, yeah, this is also another nice thing about the uh, the framing device of the letters and the binders that uh, character A has left for character B in the same body to find, which is that it keeps sort of putting in more action uh, from someone who sort of knows more about what they do on a day-to-day basis. But it also means that you develop more sympathy for the woman who's died as you go, despite the fact that she's dead and out of the story. But both you and the character you're left with sort of go from like nerd to like, ooh, dang, like you really you you really were just keeping your head down and getting your job done. And someone decided that you had to go for some reason and you never got to find out why. And you, you never you never know if I, you know, if the person who was left behind was going to be okay or not. It's nicely layered. I really like the framing device of this story, but I am a sucker for stories told out of order, so that could be in part why. But I think it it just works really well, because you get, like, if it was a linear story, I think it wouldn't work as well, because then you just have this kind of woman preparing to lose her memories, and then all of a sudden you'd, like, start with a new character in the middle of the book. So I think it just... It works well having them interchange between the two timelines almost. Hang on, is it told out of order? What, so you jump from one thing to another, or is it got two distinct timelines? It's um, it's got a timeline, but there's so much stuff that happened before the timeline started that 
the main character, the char- the woman who's left behind in the body, is finding it out as you go. And she has a lot of things that have been written by the person she used to be that she gets through as she goes. So you're kind of, you are in the present reading about stuff that happened in the past as the character is reading about stuff that happened in the past. Hannah, what do you mean the person left in the body? Because you, the main character is, uh, it's the same body, but before the story starts, the main character is attacked and loses what makes her herself and effectively wakes up as an entirely new person in the same body. Amnesiac oh. as well. So it's it's almost, oh. it's a murder mystery where there is no body and the victim is trying to work out who did it and also pretend that it never happened because if she reveals that she knows there was an attack on her life, you know, it might all come crumbling down. The very first line of the book is, Dear Hugh, the body you are wearing used to be mine. And I think that's just a brilliant first line because it just, it sets you right into it and you're like, what? What? (laughs) So does the person in the past that is also in the body that was in the body know that they were about to be attacked and left clues for the future person they did um oh nice yes i want to read this book oh you've got to read this book please read this book maybe we'll do like a small a small catch-up segment when we've all read it and be like we did or did not enjoy the book (laughs) um but yeah uh because of the the nature of her job being like the supernatural in the UK she starts getting predictions and there's a lovely interjection where she's she's writing to the person she's going to be the new character and saying yeah you're probably wondering why I I knew all of this and was able to get so crazy prepared but about six months ago I started getting fortunes being told to me on the street by people who couldn't explain why they were telling me they knew I was going to wake up in a park dead and someone else was going to open my eyes it's really you really do get sympathy for the first character who is now effectively dead because she's faced with the knowledge of sort of oncoming doom and you know she's she's an accountant basically organizing the money of this government agency and so she does the only thing that she really can which is just to get crazy prepared about it and you know she has a whole you know, if you're going to assume my life and try to find out who murdered me, or if you want to run away to France with a new face, like, I'll sort it out and I'll have contingency plans in place where I, like, drop all the dirt that everyone in the organization has been hiding, which I found while trying to find out who wants to murder me. Uh, But, you know, while you get away scot-free in the body, I will have this, like, all this information leaked and they'll be too busy dealing with that scandal to go and find you. Hopefully, touch wood, I'll be dead. You have to deal with it. Um, and yeah, you really get this sense of who she used to be. And so you you begin to really root for justice for her, even at the same time you know that the new character can't reveal that she was effectively murdered and replaced because that would actually put her new life in danger revealing that she's not who she's supposed to be. Within the Rook, are there any tropes that you kind of identify and see that you kind of link to urban fantasy? I know you've mentioned probably a couple, but 
Yes. There's one that jumps out specifically, which is, again, one of these interjections where the character who died is, is explaining one of her co-workers to the character who is now in the body because he's a vampire. And she has to explain how there was this whole period of time where the organization was just convinced that vampires did not exist. Yes, we deal with the supernatural every day, but vampires, we draw the line. Don't be silly. They're not real. And I feel like that is, I feel like I've seen that quite a few times in urban fantasy where it's like, yeah, 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 it's all real except that. We draw the line at that, whatever that is. And then usually you find out that, no, that was real too. And I just, I just find that a neat conceit in, in such stories to be like, yeah, the supernatural is real except for that. Don't be crazy. So I, I have a story personally, but I know my grandmother was reading it. The um, Rivers of London series is also like a fantasy, like an urban fantasy in which the um, character is an officer in the like metropolitan police. And I think it's interesting, like both of these kind of bureaucracy. Oh, actually, another series I have kind of read is, ha- I have read this series, um, is the Chronicles of St. Mary's, which is about a time traveler, but through like this historical institute. So a lot about like research. Sorry, my sister's just walked in the room and started talking to me. Will you go away? <laughs> I told my sister not to go in the room. <laughs> I was bored. But basically, she's just found out. To date this podcast, if this even gets it, she's just found out that Tom Daly and Matt, somebody that I've forgotten his name, Matt Lee, I think, have just won gold. Not just, because they won it before I even woke up this morning in the Olympics. So hey, good for them. I know. <laughs> Yay! But also I didn't need to know this in the middle of recording. I love it. Gold gold medal news, window washing, it's all going on <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> so I didn't hear what you said, um, Percival, and I am really, really, really sorry and I feel guilty. <laughs> That's okay. Should I just maybe start over from the beginning? Because I feel like I didn't make sense when I was actually saying things. Please, but I also know what you were aiming at, and it's exactly what I was trying to bring up, so please, please, okay. go ahead. Um, I was going to say, a series that this reminds me of, um, actually two series, one of which I haven't read, but I know my grandmother has, is The Rivers of London by Ben... <laughs> oh dear... Aronovic, I believe. Uh, Sorry if I mispronounced that horribly. But it's an urban fantasy in which the character is an officer in the, like, Metropolitan Police in London. And the other series, which I have read most of the books of, is The Chronicles of St. Mary's by Jodie Taylor. And that's a really good series. I would recommend it. It's not quite urban fantasy. It's... Because it does... It kind of is. I'm not quite sure how you'd classify that. But it's about time travel. But the the main characters in it, they're all just like eccentric historian professors and academics who sometimes time travel. So there's a lot of like minute details about like clothing and stuff and just getting really excited to see these like historical events. And, you know, it's not very flashy at all. And they just do a lot of research. 
and send it to other institutions and stuff. But, but I mean, there's, that sounds amazing. Right. There's like conflict and stuff in it. And there's so much wild stuff in it. It's great. I would highly recommend the series. It's like 13 books and counting and a bunch of novellas, but they are all fantastic. Um, or at What's least up to again? the Chronicles of St. Mary's. The first one is called Just One Damn Thing After Another, um, which kind of describes the events of the book because just so much happens, but like by the end of it, it's not particularly related to the start of it, but it somehow works. And uh, Max is just fantastic and snarky. Um, So yeah, highly would recommend that. But uh, the point I was getting to eventually was that, so you have like these British all of these books are British and they have like bureaucracy and stuff. And I think that's an interesting comparison because you're talking about like superhero fiction, which I feel like largely comes out of the States and is set there. And it's an interesting con- contrast that the English is just about bureaucracy. Whereas, you know, the States, you got all these flashy superheroes going around and solving crimes. Thoughts? <laughs> That is quite funny. Like, America's like, yeah, we're just going to break the law and do it anyway, and everyone will praise us and think that we're all good. And then England's like, and then the British sort of superhero have a fancy bit. So, like, we've got bureaucrats here, we have to fill in paperwork. Yes, and it's all going to be very hush hush and secret. And the entire business of all of these supernatural people is to train them for bureaucracy which suppresses the supernatural so everyone else can just deal with it and also funnily enough there is an american agency that is doing the same thing you find out later in the book um or well the main character finds out later in the book it's not a secret for anyone else in the agency because they're kind of twin agencies uh, set up at around the time the same time that britain got to america there's some very interesting historical stuff in there, including some, uh, yeah, some kind of interestingly uh, positioned sort of like, oh, Native American magic stuff, yes, and uh, that that I would like some outside opinions on. I might go looking for that later. Um, but yes, it is. It does seem to be a British, a British American divide because when when I look at the people in this agency, I'm like, yeah, some of those could you know legitimately be off being superheroes if this was a different type of story or perhaps written by a different author and in fact this isn't the first sort of paranormal office story that i've read there's an author called tom holt who does a lot of paranormal office stuff um and i read quite a lot of it before i was like this is just kind of miserable because he he kind of goes the other way from Daniel O'Malley in which putting his realism and fantasy together just ends up with kind of it's just a bit miserable also I have objections to his love interest because it's always just this like this sharp girl who's like really sharp and this like kind of feeble male lead and they end up getting together and it and it's always like I, I am just not convinced about this chemistry whatsoever um that is besides the point actually but you know stuff like oh the office stapler was actually our ceo that got cursed uh 15 years ago we wondered what happened to him um sorry the stapler was the ceo 
or something like that. The CEO or the founder or somebody. Oh, it's just brilliant. Yes. There's just Heavily something so beautiful about that. The person that used to like see over everything and kind of manage everything is suddenly being used by everyone. Mm-hmm. I think when they get out, they uh, they curse the person what done it to them to be the office printer because it's, you know, the most abused piece of tech in the place. Oh, it really is. Printers are really, they go through a lot. Yeah. A, they never stop being used. People hit them. People sit on them. Yeah, people put their bare asses on them when they get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that. Also, because some printers get really quite hot when they're doing yeah. the, 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 the photocopying thing, if it's a printer copier. Um, yeah, so superheroes versus office politics. Mm. I'm just taking a moment to think uh, for something else about the Rook. If anyone has a point, do jump in. Um, I was just going to say, um, Urban Fats, have you guys heard of A Discovery of Witches? Yes. I've heard of it. Haven't read it. That was a very um, definite yes, Percival. Have you? I- I watched the first season and a bit of the second, and I've read a bit of the book. I actually prefer the TV show slightly, but I prefer the TV show. I'm only like not even a quarter of way in the book, and I prefer the TV show. It's way more. It's just got more to it. <laughs> yeah, I also found the main character came across as a lot more um competent and put together in the TV show. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. She feels a little bit. Sometimes the inner monologue. to sound rude, but she sounds a little bit like a romance character. I mean, I think it is a romance book, so I think that's why. But yeah, I I know what you mean. But it just—it doesn't feel like it should be a full-on romance book. It feels like it should have more elements, but it's just very romantic. And I'm like, I was coming here for drama. And it doesn't feel that dramery or dark or gritty. <laughs> Even I who quite like romance it. and kind of went to the book to read more romance because I did I did like the ship on that show. And I yeah, was still so, kind of like, but... oh, this is a lot of swooning. This is so much swooning. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? Yeah. I, although I have a friend who really loves the series, so I should I should maybe give it a bit more of a go and not judge it off of the first few chapters. But I, I did find the TV show was a lot easier to get into. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. The TV show is so good. Although we may be straying out of the realm of urban fantasy because uh, when I was doing my research into what exactly was an urban fantasy, which I did do, it just did not stay in my sieve-like brain. Um, apparently there is quite a clear divide agreed between urban fantasy and paranormal romance apparently which i think is kind of interesting like what is the divide basically if you can take the romance out of it and it's still a solid book it's urban fantasy and if you can't it's paranormal romance i I think that oh do go ahead I think in the TV show that may be the case, but in the book it's definitely not. Would you agree, Percival? I I would. Well, I can't fully judge the book because I've not read much of it, but yeah, I think I would agree. Although I have to say, I'm suspicious of that divide, Um, and it's just dismissed as a genre. And the fact that they're like, no, 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 urban fantasy is like it's dark and it's gritty. 
but it, it's not the paranormal romance that like teenagers like no yes <laughs> I'm not sure they're trying to say it's dark and gritty but there is definitely that element of like this is serious get your cooties out of here go ahead Kay no I turned my mic off uh, <laughs> darn it. I've been talking <laughs> this entire time no my mic was off we thought you'd been snatched by some um, hidden realm magic. Um, I don't like the fact that they have said that you need to be able to take the romance out in order for it to be an urban fantasy and then, or it would be a paranormal romance. Because, for the pure fact that just within a story, there shouldn't be anything that isn't directly impacted the story or the reader's kind of enjoyment. So like, there's obviously jokes and things that you could take out and it would still work, but it wouldn't be as entertaining or it wouldn't develop the characters as much. So that's fine. But like something as big as a romance plot, if it's there, it needs to be there in, in, to impact the story and where it goes. So surely if you took that out, it would no longer be the story that it needs to be, whether it's urban fantasy or paranormal romance. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Mm, I agree. And by the way, I do like romance books. It just wasn't what I was expecting from the TV series going into the book. Yeah, I agree with that. And I I had read them in like opposite order. I might, or if I'd not read or watched and read them so close together, I might also have enjoyed the book a bit more. Um, following on from that point about uh, superheroes and uh, almost inter- institutionalized supernatural stuff and the differences between how America and in, in the differences between how America and England approaches this stuff. Um, the MI6 for wizard bit amuses me because in a way it's almost like kind of grown up Harry Potter in that it's not like we need to put all these magical children in a school. Someone or along the way this uh, organization has grown up because it's like, oh, we need to do something with these magical children let's prepare them for office life in magic office that does magic business um which is really really kind of interesting the sort of institutionalization of these powers rather than uh free expression and uh do you guys have any thoughts on that any books that sort of you feel fall into that kind of so they grow up very much like this is your job and that's what so you grow up going like this is your ability and this is what you're going to become is that what you're saying it is quite like that except all abilities are quite different so it's like oh okay who are you okay that's your ability here's how to manage it and you're going to go into the the organization when you're older like that that is what they do i think that's a lot of like superhero and sort of fantasy things a lot of them have that as a trope, but now my mind's gone blank. Does, <laughs> Harry it... Potter has a lot of that. Harry um, Potter there has is, a lot of that. There is more scope to move around, but there's still a lot of it. The Hunger Games, everyone's kind of given jobs and stuff. That's not urban fantasy, but I've just listed books now. A lot of those sort of teenage dystopian books have it in there where everyone kind of grows up going like divergent and stuff like this is your job this will be your thing there we go obviously it's not fantasy 
in a way, it's almost like a new way of doing that. Oh, this is your destiny, and you have to fulfill this quest because it's your destiny. And it's like, you know, now, ah, now the, the place that you must, you know, the place you take has been prepared for you. Or it's a way to create a very rigid society in which a typically teenage, probably 16-year-old girl with blonde or brown hair has to break the mould and save everyone. I wonder if also it, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't say that authors are necessarily doing this on like a conscious level and like setting out to say this, but it does kind of send a message of like reassuring if you don't know what you're supposed to do, because knowing what you're supposed to do isn't any better in these worlds. Like, I think, especially like coming out of college or like, um, you know, high school and university, you're kind of like, I could do anything I want. And I feel like a lot of people are like, well, that's a bit terrifying. And so in these books, you can't do anything you want. And that's worse. So it's almost comforting to be like, well, I guess knowing what I'm supposed to be doing wouldn't be any better than not knowing. So I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes great sense. And I totally agree with you. Like, it's a bit of a catch. Not catch 22, because I think definitely being told what you want to do and it's not be a choice is worse. Because at least if you end up in a, if you have the choice, obviously, even within this world, not every within reality and the real world scenario not everybody has a choice to go off and do whatever they want but if you do at least that is your choice that you've made and even if you don't end up enjoying it at least you've made the choice while within these books and other world scenarios it's not their choice which is worse because they can't control anything about their life and they just like it's sad because at least we can change what we do. Again, not everyone can, but if you're lucky enough to be able to in real life, it is possible. Did that make sense? Yeah. Or did I just completely repeat what you said? No, you both made sense. Possible made, you know, sense in that, uh, you know, I don't, I do not like how much sense that made. And this made sense in a kind of, ah, yes, at least we have that way. <laughs> So earlier in the episode, we were talking a lot about, like, defining what we would say urban fantasy is. But, like, does it matter? Like, why do we even subcategorize anything really beyond fiction and nonfiction, I guess? Mm, a very good point. Because, you know, if it's already fiction, why should there be such a massive line drawn between types unless it's for categorizing or search purposes? Like, who is out there genuinely getting upset about the difference between paranormal romance and urban fantasy? Academics. <laughs> okay, yes, yes, yes. I think that's safe. We, we can just safely blame the academics for that. Then <laughs> wait a minute, we're academics. <laughs> so we can laugh about ourselves and how pernickety we We have had arguments about these sorts of things before. We can take the hit. Yeah. I would say personally, I actually quite like categorization and I like knowing what tropes to expect going into a book. I think that to me at least is more about like classification is just to know what kind of story I'm going to get almost. I know especially when I read like romance because that's such a wide genre and it intersects a lot with like women's fiction as another very broad genre. But I feel like a lot of times women's fiction 
that's not specifically like romance or kind of romantic comedies has a lot more like struggle and personal hardships and not that I don't enjoy those books but sometimes I just want to know that that's going to happen like I I know there was one book where I went in kind of expecting a romantic comedy and then like halfway through I'm bawling my eyes out and I was like I'm enjoying this but I wasn't this wasn't quite what I wanted to read but like I finished it and I quite liked it but I just kind of would have liked to know that that was what was going to happen going into the book where I feel like descriptions can be quite vague there's like a oh, romance happens and I'm like yeah but what else happens so I feel like that's kind of true in fantasy as well sometimes I just kind of want to know some of the basic tropes and what to expect out of it so I think classification can be quite good in that sense mm, and that perhaps romance isn't the genre that should be singled out as so separatable if that makes sense yeah because as you've as you've just described romance can mean a lot more different things than maybe fantasy does it's interesting because I feel like well I guess maybe my selection of books isn't the most impartial but like a lot of books include romance in some aspects like even in quite a large role but they're not necessarily romance books so it's weird that often romance books get singled out as like less important it's just weird also just to reassure you I don't think anyone's selection of books can be unbiased in some way shape or form so don't don't worry about that yes but I meant my selection of books is quite biased towards romance because that is a lot of what I read and I really enjoy romance plot lines so what I say most books include romance I'm not that's not quite true but like a lot of books do let's see it certainly makes you more qualified to talk about romances though what about UK any thoughts about classification or books that you thought were one classification but turned out to be another and you liked or didn't like that for me genre as a reader is helpful because I'm like oh I think I'll like that because it's within that genre but as a writer I hate it (laughs) because I'm like oh Um... I have to make my book like kind of at least hint or link with these genres and I'm like not even just books but like tv series movies or whatever I'm writing plays or whatever I'm like I have to kind of think about the audience and is this something people will read (laughs) that's just a lot of effort when you just want to write something yeah that mm, yes (laughs) that's why I had such an issue with advanced fiction in second year was not second year second semester um was that so much of it was talking about like genre and writing something that you know audiences will like and stuff and I just it made me realize I didn't want to write stuff that audiences would like so much like yeah because I was like all of my books are weird and I can't tell a story in a linear line and they fit into like so many genres but none that really are more like they're like romance and fantasy and like I just I just don't care if a reader will like it when I write and I don't like trying to care if a reader would like it when I write either so I'm like oh no it just wasn't for me that class yeah I would 100% recommend The Rook if you're looking for something fun to get into that uh uh oh my god it isn't too hard that's really not a good advertisement I would I in short I would really recommend The Rook I thoroughly enjoyed it if you like uh of a fantasy if you like office politics uh if you like getting stabbed in the back unexpectedly 
uh, cool powers. Yeah, it's a good book. There is also a sequel that came out a year ago, a couple years ago, which is insanely huge. I uh, had a discussion with Percival and Kay before we started recording about the size of the original book, which my copy just feels like a book-sized book, but apparently it's uh, uh, dense (laughs) in audio format, but it's still worth the read.